Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? So good to have you here with us today. My name is Grant, and I really appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Maybe you're on your way into work right now. Maybe you're on your way home from work. Maybe you're at the gym. Maybe you're making dinner. I don't know what you're up to, but really do appreciate you hanging out with us. We've got a great episode for you today. We've got Dave Danhai. Dave Danhai, who runs the grilled cheese truck out in Los Angeles and Phoenix. they got about seven trucks and food trucks. They make these gourmet grilled cheese sandwiches that even at like the first minute or two of this interview where Dave and I are talking, my mouth is watering. Just the description of these sandwiches is just amazing. So excited to share this story with you. He started as a, a chef in Los Angeles, worked at some of the top restaurants in the city in this major food market, and then eventually opened a food truck. And so how he got into it is a really fascinating story. Also, I'd encourage you to stick around to the end for the bonus episode. Dave and I, we hop back on the mic for a couple more minutes and talk. Uh, here's some different stories about how they've used social media to expand what it is that they're doing and to share what it is they're doing and to build that audience. So really good stuff there. Also, one of my favorite stories he shares about a time that they were at a, uh, an event and they were serving food and how long some people waited to get this grilled cheese sandwich. So it is just a crazy, crazy, you won't even believe how long these people waited. So make sure that you download that. You can find that at grandbaldwin.com. All right, let's get right into this interview. Here is the uh, chit-chat with the owner of the grilled cheese truck, Dave Danhai. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Dave Danhai, who is the founder and operator of the Grilled Cheese Truck. And so this is a uh, cool story, excited to get into and share with you today. So Dave, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, on the outside looking in, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more than just like a grilled cheese truck. I mean, you guys are cranking out massive amounts and massive quantities of quality fresh grilled cheese. So give us an overview of your business and what you guys do. It's kind of what you said. I mean, this all started from this one sandwich, which is what we call the cheesy mac and rib, which is southern macaroni and cheese, pulled barbecue pork, caramelized onions, and sharp cheddar on uh, French bread and grilled into a grilled cheese. My mouth literally just started salivating (laughs) a little bit. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, there's a lot more to be done with grilled cheese. And what I like to call grilled cheese a, a culinary common denominator. Everybody, at least in this country and a lot of parts of the world, grew up with some form of a grilled cheese. Right. And what I have found over the, the six years I've been doing this is I've yet to have anybody that's had a bad experience or bad memories of grilled cheese in general. I may, and they may have had a bad one, but it's always mom after school or grandma right. or even college oh, I, I, was, I was so poor I had to keep, keep eating grilled cheese. And that's still a smile as opposed to, oh, those damn cup of ramen. That was too much for me. <laughs> so that's why I decided to go big with the grilled cheese. It's just it hit everybody. And then time-wise, it was just kind of the perfect storm. The economy wasn't great when we first started. So everybody starts, they, A, they wash their money so they're not going out to eat as much. But we started in Los Angeles where nobody knows how to cook, so they still go out to eat. Mm-hmm. Also, when if you look at all the culinary trends, when the economy goes bad, people go right to comfort food. Right. And I mean, a grilled cheese is the epitome of comfort food. So 
I think that's why it's it's snowballed so well. But on the outside looking in, I mean, if you're just doing grilled cheese sandwiches, it seems like that's a pretty like this is a pretty basic thing. Like most people could make and not screw up. So how do you differentiate yourselves by building a complete brand around the staple that pretty much anybody could make? Well, first and foremost, everything that we do is made from scratch. We make our mac and cheese from scratch. We smoke our own pork. We caramelize the onions for five hours straight, and I can go on and on. So the quality ingredients is number one by far. There's also, again, I have a fine dining background. I was a chef in fine dining restaurants in Los Angeles for 30 years, 25 years. So the standards that I had in the five-star restaurants, I've brought into the truck. I've just lost my culinary ego and realized that it doesn't have to be about chanterelles and truffles and whatnot. It's a great grilled cheese. So that's part of it. And then there is a little bit of chemistry involved. I realized that by putting on something as big as you know the pulled pork mac and cheese and, and whatnot or any of the larger sandwiches, these things need to stay on the grill longer. So I developed a mix of, of butter and mayonnaise so it, it you know, as far as chemistry, it raises the smoking temperature of butter so we can keep it on there longer and it just gets crispier as opposed to getting black quick. Interesting. So there's a lot of, of little components that come along that and there's the marriage of flavor and texture that needs to happen for somebody to smile. So all that put together, suddenly you've got the epitome of the perfect grilled cheese, I'd like to think. I was going to say, it's, it's way more than just slapping a couple of pieces of bread between a, uh, and some cheese on the grill or something and coming up with a, a good sandwich. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it that sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Again, ingredient-wise, I mean, I've learned to kind of stick with the cheeses that people want, which is the creamy brie or, the, you know, a spicy cheese, because I change the menu on, on a, about a quarterly basis with the seasons. But to kind of contradict all of that, grilled cheese is something that is very, very personal to most people, and they have their go-tos. So I, I also made sure I crafted the menu to where, for the most part, you can just put your whatever you want together. Just look at the addition and say, you know what? I want my bacon and turkey and cheddar, and that's all I want on it. Mm-hmm. And you could build your own. So you know, I try and make sure we're hitting the nostalgia part of it as well. Make it sound like it's just a truck, but I know that you've got a fleet that are out there. So give us a, a picture of what your business is like today. How many trucks do you have? Where are they located? Well, we just scaled back a little bit. We had some mechanical, some trucks that were just a little bit older. So we got rid of those so we can uh, grow quicker. But we're about to go through a huge growth spur. Right now, there's seven trucks. There's five in L.A. and two in Phoenix. We're franchising out. This is one of the main reasons I decided to go big. We're franchising to veterans only on the trucks for the first hundred trucks. And we've started a project where we're going to be going on to Army and Air Force bases and feeding the veterans with veteran. We felt that, you know, if there's one group in this country that doesn't, A, get much help, it's the veterans once they get back. And they do have, some of them do have problems assimilating back into society. And a lot of that has to do with the schedule's gone, that they lived for 4, 10, 15, 20 years. And with something that we do, it's pretty standard. We've got it set up pretty straightforward. So just follow the standard operating procedures and a veteran that's been trained to do just that and be respectful and have good customer service type stuff. And don't think out of the box, just do what we're doing and we'll support you with the food because that's one thing I didn't want to sacrifice the quality of the food. It's the perfect way to go. So the first expansions, it will be with the veterans on the bases and then, and not just on the bases, but also into trucks. And then what I'm really excited about is we're finally going to be going into brick and mortars. Wow. Very cool. So you're going to be having actual physical retail locations? Yes, exactly. And that gives me the opportunity because a truck is, it's tiny. I mean, you're looking at 300 square feet of kitchen at most, depending upon the truck. You get me into a restaurant, I can finally start doing some things and pushing some limits a little bit more, um, go a little bit crazier with it and start getting some salads and some different items that still play into the grilled cheese concept. 
Nice. Well, let's go back in, in time a little bit. And I want to hear more about the story of how this all came to be and how you actually fully got into it. So it sounds like you had a culinary background. Did you grow up in food and, and were family in the restaurant world? Yeah, well, I'm, I'll say this, and my mom hates when I say it. I really started cooking out of uh, self-defense from my mother. <laughs> Her food was good, but it's I just I was a food person, and I started cooking at 14 professionally. I had to get a special work permit so I could work in a restaurant, and that was it. All it took was me to get in front of a stove um, in a restaurant setting and the buzz of a line, and I just loved it. So I did that for, like I said, uh, from 14 till 35, so a couple of years. <laughs> Again, worked in some of the best places in, in the city and had a really good press run and got best restaurant of the year and all that fun stuff. So, And I loved it. The only reason that I stopped doing it is I had some back surgery and the doctor said, look, if you're on your feet 16 hours a day, we're going to have to go and do some retweaking four or five years from now. And I didn't want to sign up for that. It was an eight-month recovery from my second back surgery, which was due to a car accident. So I started recruiting chefs and finding chefs jobs, I have, I, which I still own that company uh, in Los Angeles, DD Factor Recruiting. And just, you know, hospitality recruiting. So I did that for 10 years, and I got, which I loved. I loved helping the people, and I got to still consult and, and cook that way. But I did lose my daily outlet for creativity. Yeah. And then one day, a friend of mine sent me an email about this, this competition that had taken place in L.A., and this is back in 2009, uh, called the Grilled Cheese Invitational. And I just thought that was kind of funny. Now, cooking for me has always been, always has been about making people happy with food. So I never competed. It was just nothing that – it wasn't anything that excited me. I didn't do any culinary competitions or anything. But the, for some reason, this thing kind of echoed in my head. And as it's echoing around, I, one of the things I was known for, one of the, the upscale southern restaurants I did was my macaroni and cheese. And that's when that sandwich, the cheesy mac and rib, came into, into my mind saying, oh, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to have mac and cheese in a sandwich with – and then for me, when I eat mac and cheese, I always drag it through the barbecue sauce that's inevitably on that plate. So that's how the sandwich came up. And I said, you know what? Why not? I'm just, it'll be a fun Sunday. Let me just go compete. It's not to win. It's just to go have fun. And when I got to this competition, an hour and a half early, because they wanted the competitors to get there early, there was a line, and I kid you not, over a mile long, five people wide to get into this competition, which wow. really made, made, yeah, it made, made uh, my eyebrow raise go, what is all this? And then as I got into the masses and talking to people, I realized that there is a subculture built around grilled cheese. So... <laughs> I kid you not, from tattoos right. and all. So needless to say, went through it. I think 7,000 people showed up to that competition that year. And I didn't win, with the exception of having 400 people chant the name of the sandwich and stuff like that. <laughs> but as I walk out, there was a healthy truck, a healthy-themed food truck. And this is when the, the nicer truck, the, you know, the gourmet trucks, if you will, just started. I mean, Kogi, I think, which I would consider one of the first big movers in the gourmet truck world in LA. They had just started maybe four months prior to, to us or to this competition. So there's this healthy themed organic wraps and salads out in front. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you've got the wrong demographic right here. You've got gluttony on this side of the fence. Yeah. And here you are trying to capture on that audience. And immediately the bell went off of my head and just said, wait a minute, what about a grilled cheese truck? So I, I went and, uh, and researched online for about two days to realize that there was not a mobile grilled cheese truck in the world. So then suddenly that's when my I, it was like, okay, wait a minute, I could do this. I could be creative again. This will be fun. I'll throw some money at this and be a nice little side income, but more just to, to make people smile with food because if there's one food that makes people smile, it is grilled cheese. So, I mean, it, in not such a nutshell, that's really how the idea came up. And then after a couple of weeks of going around uh, talking to people and I, yeah, I don't want to make the too long of a story, 
But that's when I decided, you know what, I am going to do this. And because I had my other business, I started with another partner who's no longer with just because and went forward with it. It took about five, six months to get it on the road. And in that time, there was a lot of, you know, that's when I started for the first time working with social media and realized what an amazing tool that was for us. Because we, I mean, it, that's a whole other story how our social media exploded just off the get-go. Wow. Um, but, but that's what the, the viralness and, and made us be this, at this point, almost a, a little slice of pop culture in Los Angeles. Well, I want to cover a lot of that of why you decided and, and how you decided to make that leap to go ahead and, and go you know, whole hog in it, so to speak. But I want to get back to when you were talking about just the, you know, you're in the restaurant world for, you said 14 to 35, 21 years there, which I actually, I worked as a server in a fine dining restaurant for several years, enjoyed it, but it is, is brutal, brutal work. And people don't realize the hours that may go into it from a chef standpoint. So during those 21 years that you're in it, are you ever looking for something else or are you enjoying it? And it's just like, man, this is it. This is what I want to do. And so other than the health issue that you had, could it have been one of those things that you would have done for your entire career? Oh, I absolutely would not have stopped. If it wasn't for my back surgery, I never looked outside of the industry. It was something I loved. It's a labor of love and a love of labor. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I, you know, I literally worked, and I, I'm not exaggerating, I literally worked a minimum of 80 hours a week yeah. and very religiously you know, 100, 105, 110 hours a week where you're working 18 hours a day for 15 days straight. And it's just what you do. And the only yeah. reason I, I, I was able to do this because it, it was a passion. I loved it. To have somebody after working 17 hours and go into the dining room, somebody stop me and say, oh, my God, these are the best scallops I've ever had. That's it. That's what did it for me. So there was really no looking outside of it. Even when I got out of it, I stayed in it. <laughs> you know, it right. So even then when you transition into the consulting and the – sounds like you're kind of doing some headhunting basically. Exactly. Is it like, okay, I miss the restaurant. I miss actually being behind the grill, but this works and this is probably as close as I can get. Or are you feeling like, well, this just you know, buys me some time to get healthy? Or, or what are you kind of thinking at that point? No, what it really was is this was the first time now. My friend owned the company at the time. I'd known them and I'd known them because, I, again, I was corporate chef running nine restaurants at the time. So I used the agency itself. So it's just serendipitously fell in because the doctor told me, hey, look, you're going to need eight months for recovery on this. My friend's like, well, if you're going to sit around for eight months, because I just took a medical leave at my job. So basically he said, if you're going to sit around for eight months, why don't you just come and place a couple of chefs, which is exactly what I did. It work. Yeah. And I, well, because I can't sit still. Yeah. So I, I loved that, uh, what I was doing and helping and trying to you know, perpetuate the, the good people in the industry, if you will, and helping out the, the, the little companies as well as the, the larger chains we worked with. But I loved it. I absolutely did. That was my step into not having a boss and being an entrepreneur, which I absolutely suddenly loved. I was able to... to, to set my own schedule, go in when I want, leave when I want. And at that point, my kids were about five and seven. So there was a novelty of watching my kids grow up and being there at a basketball game and stuff like that. So while still being able to, you know, stick in my 65 hours a week because I, I could do it at any time of the day. Right, right. Yeah, that's definitely one of the, the downsides of the restaurant world is it's, it's brutal hours. It's hours when everybody else is out having fun. You're, you're providing a service there at the restaurant. So I always knew that Valentine's Days and holidays, it's, you're at the restaurant. Oh, yeah, so that's, that's you the lose them works. all. The, yeah. the birthdays, the anniversaries, the mom's days, everything, you just you give it up for the industry. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a tough industry. So you're doing the headhunting thing for 10 years. So it sounds like, I mean, I assume you enjoyed it for the most part uh, if you're I doing it for it. 10 years. So even when the grilled cheese competition comes up, it's not like you're looking for anything. It just kind of falls in your lap. Yeah, yeah. No, at that point I had, uh, after five years, I ended up buying that company, which I still own and still operate. 
So it was one of those where I had my assistant that was doing a lot of the culinary recruiting. I was just more mentoring at that point. And it was, well, wait a minute, here's the, and, the, and again, this is when the economy was going bad. And the first thing the restaurants are cutting out is using their headhunters because it's just an extra expense. It's, it's where the general manager told, no, you, you find it, you put an ad and you deal with the time that it takes to do this. Right. So it was also, hey, you know, it wouldn't hurt me to make a little bit more money and this and that and the other right now. And again, it just serendipitously, time-wise, was just it was the perfect storm. It could not have been timed any better. And again, it did get a knife back in my hand and, and the creative juices flowing to where I could have a lot of fun with food again, which I missed because you can only cook so much at home. Yeah. You go to this competition, you do fine, but you just realize it's just this eye-opening experience to you. You go back home, you do some research for a couple of days, realize that there's an opportunity here, but there's no one serving this market. Are you immediately thinking like, man, somebody should do this? Or are you thinking like, this is me. Like this is uh, like it's all the stars have aligned for me to do this. That's all it was. And it is actually it was almost a rush into it because I thought about it. I did my research. I realized nobody was doing it. I knew I, I well, I felt I could do a really good job with it. So that's when I said, no way, I'm actually going to do it. Let me get a partner because it's just only so many hours in the day. We shook hands on it and within, you know, she, she had to go to take it. She was up, you know, had a pre-existing vacation. And then I jumped online to do the first tweets because I didn't want to be the second grilled cheese truck. So I put the tweets out there and that's when the social media just started exploding. But it went, uh, yeah, it was one of those, as soon as I started thinking about it and I had, it took maybe two weeks and suddenly the concept was completely solidified in my head to almost exactly what it is now. As far as the menu, I mean, the menu's obviously evolved, but the menu, the look of it and what we do, and it was almost like this was, it was meant to be. You know, you were supposed to go to this grilled cheese thing so you could do this because now, you know, here it is six years later and I still love everything about it. So two weeks after the competition, you've got everything basically in place, ready to go? No, 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 no. Two weeks in my head, I had okay, everything okay. down pat. We, the competition was in April. We had the truck on the road, which there's a process there. We had the truck on the road at the very end of October. Well, still, I mean, that's not, what is that, you know, six months or so from idea to actually implementation. I mean, that's not exactly. long at all. So how did you kind of wrap your mind around that, though? Because I think there's people that are in that spot of like, I've come across this thing and it feels like there's this opportunity, whether it's for my career or for a new business or for some new opportunity that exists. And I feel like I'm at the right place, right time. But I don't want to let my emotions get in the way. I want to make a wise decision here about whether or not to jump into this. There's a lot of different ways you could approach it. But I mean, you dove all in on something like this. So why did you decide to dive all in versus like, well, let me just get this and we'll dabble with it. And what were you kind of thinking at that point? Well, like I said, I did do my homework. You know, it wasn't one of those. And I'd opened, you know, dozens of restaurants in my past. So that was the easy part was the actual open. It's just going to take some money. And then, you know, set up the systems. That was the easy part. It was doing the research and say, wait a minute, there's a need for this. You know, let's fill a need. These trucks are, I had just gotten back from a three-week visit to Southeast Asia where I was overly exposed to street food and the culture that comes with that. And that's, no pun intention with the word culture. That's where I really fell in love with just everything about street food and the, and just the senses that it that it takes over in your body whether you know the sounds and the smells and the sights and everything and the reason that we've never had in this country as far as a strong street food culture is because we're very regulated and you're not going to find somebody on the corner with a, a walk on cinder blocks making crickets. It just doesn't happen here, but it'll happen. You, you look at Europe, you look at Asia, you look at Latin America, you know, South America. Street food is a way of life and it's intertwined even into power lunches. And now, with the, well, not now, but back then, in 2009, suddenly these trucks were emerging, and this was the way that this country was going to have its street food because it could be regulated, it could be served safely, 
it could be taxed in this way. Everything is fine with everybody. So suddenly I knew this was going to be the street food of the United States and that I wanted to be part of it because, I, again, I fell so in love with the, the culture that comes with it. Why did you decide to do the, the food truck route? Because if you grew up in the restaurant world and that's all you knew, it would seem like that would be the next logical step of let's open a brick and mortar location doing specializing and focusing on, on grilled cheese. Well, okay, now this is where the scale back happened because to open a even a small, call it 1,500 square foot restaurant in Los Angeles, it's going to cost you about three quarters of a million dollars. So that's not just, hey, I'll throw some money at this. Right, you talk, right. that, there's a major commitment there. You know, me and my partner got this truck off and we went top line. We made sure we had a nice POS system. We made sure that we had all the, the pros and cons. We spent the money, you know, a full right. wrap, a nice truck, you know, the right marketing, a, a real website, et cetera. And we, we ended up opening this thing for less than $60,000. Wow. So part of it was just like, did you always feel like it was kind of a proof of concept? Like, let's try this. And if this works as a food truck, then I could see how we could scale this and make this either additional trucks like you've done, or as you're getting ready to do, open some uh, either expanding into different markets with the trucks or just opening actual physical locations. Well, it's, it's funny. Actually, it, it really first started as just a very simple, hey, I'm just going to do this. It'll be fun. We'll have a truck putting around L.A. We had a second truck in less than four months because we had lines that were crazy. We had lines, people waiting two, three hours in front of the truck of 150, 200 people. I could show you pictures that would blow your mind. I mean, we could have been giving away money in those trucks, and I wouldn't have waited in some of our lines. <laughs> so... That's when suddenly when the second truck happened, we had made our money back, you know, fairly quickly to put it lightly. It was one of those, wait a minute, this is kind of a tiger by the tail. And that kind of snowballed into where we're at now because I wanted to do the brick and mortars. If it was up to me, we would have had brick and mortars sooner than now. We'd had them two years ago, a year and a half ago. But, you know, there's a time and a place to do things right. So once I we did a, an acquisition, bought my ex-partner out, that was the plan is let's position this correctly. We went public. So we're actually a publicly traded company right now. And then the franchise model, because I really did want to help the vets. I want, if I was going to get back into losing my life again, it's got to be worth something more than just money. You can make money anywhere. But if I'm going to do it, let's do some good. And that's where the whole veteran thing came in to where it's like, wait a minute. We, if we can help this work group out, that's my legacy. That I feel good that I've left something behind. Your story reminds me similar of the uh, that movie Chef with what's his name, uh, John <laughs> John Favreau. Favre. Favre. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the guy that was in the restaurant world and then the traditional well, and then decided to do the food truck thing, and it, it just worked out really well. But did you find that there was a significant difference from the traditional restaurant world to the food truck world of just kind of the a different environment and a different culture that, oh. that fit better for you? <laughs> that well, I don't know if I'd say fit better. I will say, you know, at the very beginning. First off, I had a lot of my chef friends, and, and these are some of the best chefs in the city, literally, calling me up going, you're opening a what? A food truck? Because suddenly I was at the bottom of the barrel, if you will, when it comes to chefing. Right. Um, and again, and I ran in their crowds, if you will. So the question at the very beginning was, what's harder? That's what I got from a lot of people. Is that What's harder? Is it a trucker? Is it the restaurant? And I'd always answer, they're both hard. They're just different. And six years later, actually about probably six months later, I would have told you, oh, absolutely, the trucks are a thousand times harder than a restaurant, and it's not taking anything away from the difficulties of running a restaurant correctly. But when it comes to a truck, A, you're dealing with mechanical, so just the truck itself breaks down. The way that these trucks were built, they were built to do, you know, and I'll use the term that people seem to be scared to use, but the old roach coaches, these trucks were built, this is a, a regular 350 Chevy engine in these trucks that are pulling 15,000 pounds worth of truck. Yeah. Um, they're not built to go 20 miles and then do five hours of service and drive 20 miles back and then go back out for another 30 miles for the dinner shift. These trucks were meant to stay within an eight mile radius. Boom, 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 stop. Never turn the engine off, do 15 minute stops at all these places and go back home. 
So these trucks are breaking down a lot. It's catering, which again, I stayed in, we, you know, I stayed in restaurants in my career. I didn't do a lot of catering. I mean, through the restaurants, we did some, you know, when I worked at the Roxbury and stuff like that, we did a lot of high-end parties, but catering, offsite catering, you forget a spatula, you, you're flipping a sandwich with your hands because you don't have one in the kitchen behind you. Right. So there's a lot more moving parts. I don't mean this with any disrespect, but and because I put myself into this work group, but the restaurant industry, I've always said, is create uh, has always attracted the misfits of society, and again, myself included, right. the people that just didn't want to be in that office, or maybe it's not do the four years of college or whatever. And I always that, that those are the people I bond with because that's who I am. But when it comes to the trucks, you're getting the misfits of those misfits. <laughs> right. So the the work group is a little bit tougher. It's not easy to get somebody that really cares about food on a culinary level as opposed to I'm just you know pumping this out to work in a truck because again they feel. I mean, the movie Chef has helped that a little bit to be honest with you because it's glorified it a little. Yeah. But once people get on those trucks, they realize okay, I am rubbing elbows literally with my crew all day long because it's tiny. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and obviously now it's like, well, I mean, sheesh, it worked out. It's, it's going well in multiple locations, and you've gone public, and yada, yada, yada. But when you're starting it up, and you've got all, you're considered one of the, I assume, one of the top chefs in a major market, in one of the top you know, food markets and restaurant markets in the world, and you've got buddies and colleagues that are like, golly, has Dave lost his mind? Like, has he thought this through? Like, what is, like, what is, is this his midlife crisis or something that he's having? How do you kind of wrap your mind around that and kind of like rationalize it in your own head? Like, am I losing my mind? Am I making the right decision? Or do I just need to go back to the, the traditional world on the line? And what, like, what are you kind of thinking? I know, trust me, there was many times that I'd be on that truck on because the first 14 months I was on the trucks every shift, cutting every sandwich on the truck that I was on because, again, we had two trucks by the end of the second year and I could only be one at a time. And there was, there was definitely times on a Saturday night at one in the morning I kind of go, what the hell am I doing? Right. But at the end of the day, and I hope this doesn't take anything away from my past career, at the end of the day, somebody walks up to that window that's waited 10 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes, opens that sandwich up and they rip it apart like they're looking for the golden ticket and take that bite and smile and look at you and just go, oh my God, once again, that's that, that person stopping me in the dining room saying this was the best scallop I ever had. That makes it all worth it. This, and I've had a great culinary career before I did the truck. I mean, I, got, I was very fortunate with the write-ups and this and that and worked at some phenomenal restaurants and the ability to buy the, some of the best product that was available. The truck has been my most rewarding culinary experience. I've been able to touch many more people and I get to watch it happen. And even on some of the exhibition kitchens I work at, you don't get to be there at that level with them hearing the crunch of the sandwich and, and then going, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> so I wouldn't change it for the world. Let's wrap up with this. If someone was interested and maybe they're, they're in the food space and they're interested in maybe having their own food truck at some point, what are some of those basic things they really need to think through that have helped set you guys up for success? First and foremost, go work on a truck, period. Don't do it without any past experience. Just because you worked in a restaurant, you think it's going to be, oh, oh this will be fine. It's easy. It's just cooking. It's just a different kitchen. There's a whole nother level of maintenance that comes to the job itself that you want to make sure you want to get into. So that would be my first thing is don't just think you can do it because a lot of people, they see somebody like Kogi or us or Cool House or some of the real popular trucks around the, the city or the country, and they feel, my neighbor told me I'd do a great steak, so I'm going to open me a barbecue truck. Right. And they think the doors will open and there's, there's lines out in front right away. And we, again, we started early and kind of were one of the pioneers of it all. So fortunately, there was a lot of buzz around food trucks. Now, here's the example. There was less than 30 quote, gourmet food trucks in Los Angeles when we first hit the road, yeah. there's well over 350 now. Wow. And this is only five and a half years later. So the competition is really tough. 
So that would be another thing I say is really do your homework and then lose your ego on, oh, I do this food and that's what I'm going to do because people are going to love it. And, you know, whether it's an ethnic, I'm Hungarian and I know people will love my grandmother's food. It doesn't work that way. Your best bet is to step back, fill a void that's needed in that area. There's no hot dog truck there. Do a hot dog truck. You'll make money. You got to have some passion behind the food you're doing. Absolutely. But don't open it for yourself. Open it for the crowds. And like I've always said to the chefs that I mentored and and whatnot or, or found jobs is, Anybody can make food they like. The trick is making food that the people that come to visit you like. Yeah, good stuff, man. Dave, really appreciate you sharing your story and journey with us. I've got a couple other questions for you. One, I'm, I'm kind of curious about how that social media explosion happened for you guys, what you've done to utilize and leverage social media to continue to build your following and your audience beyond just someone buying a one-off sandwich, but really just you know lifelong fans and followers, as well as some of those first few weeks were like. You talked about those massive crowds, uh, so I want to hear some stories on that. We're going to save that for the bonus round, but in the meantime, where can people find out more about you guys? The easiest thing is just go to thegrillcheesetruck.com. You get our schedule there. You get our menu there. You get our social media feeds are all connected there. So that's bad. It's just thegrilledcheesetruck.com. Awesome. And we'll be sure and link up to that. And we'll uh, make sure we send people that way. And if you are in the Los Angeles or the Phoenix area, you're going to be passing through it anytime soon. Make sure you stop by, check them out, support what it is that they're doing. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm, uh, I was just in Los Angeles a couple of days ago. And now I'm kicking myself that I didn't stop by and uh, try to find you guys. I just passed through the airport. I had a lengthy layover that may have been worth getting outside of LAX to come find a truck. So next time I'm in the city, I'm definitely going to look you guys up. Oh, perfect. I'm kind of upset you didn't make it this last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed it, though. So uh, thanks, Dave. Appreciate the time. We'll see you over in the bonus round. Okay. Thanks again. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave Danai, owner and founder of the Real Cheese Truck. Really good stuff there. If you are, uh, maybe if you're in the Southern Cal area, if you're in the Phoenix area, definitely stop by, check out that sandwich. I am super intrigued myself. I want to get out there now and uh, try this sandwich that he described. Sounds absolutely amazing. Also, as a reminder, I'd encourage you to download the bonus material where uh, Dave and I, we back, hop back on the mic for a couple more minutes and we talk about some different strategies that they've used with social media to build their business. Also, so he shares this insane, ridiculous story about when they first started the certain event they were at, how long a couple people waited in line to get a sandwich. It is ridiculous. I, don't, I can't say that I would wait this long for a sandwich, but you'll be blown away at how long they waited. So you can download all that. Check that out. It's totally free. You can find that at grantbalden.com. Hey, also as a reminder, we are taking a, a lot of your questions right now. Several of you have already submitted questions. Uh, in the near future, we're going to be doing a Q&A episode with just your questions, my answers, and and I give you my two cents and feedback on, on what you're wrestling with, chewing on, pondering, whatever we can do to, to help you and support you on your journey to find and do work you love. So uh, I would encourage you to stop by grantbaldoncom slash ask, A-S-K. And uh, there you can leave us a recorded voice message of your question. And we'll try to incorporate that on a uh, upcoming episode of the How Did You Get Into That podcast. So again, you can find that at grantbaldoncom slash ask. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. We'd love to uh, have a rating and review for me and iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you may find and listen to shows. That would be awesome and delightful. We really appreciate that. So uh, I think that wraps up this episode, boys and girls. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.